This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Somewhere in the course of all of this, um, so I switched my individual therapist, and then we switched group therapists as well. I, I stayed in the group, and we had another woman join, another couple of women join, actually. And you and um, one other person here became... Rachel, they know Rachel. We've okay. just done a couple of podcast nice. episodes, yeah. You guys became my group therapist. And so that was really my first exposure to any therapist here other than that one that I'd had. Mm -hmm. I kind of was almost a little bit in seclusion under her Mm -hmm. where I was at before. And there was this new person that joined our group. And it turned out that she had been in my congregation at a time that I was in that leadership position that I'd been serving in. And I had a hard time with her. And over the course of the next year... I was unable to bring to the table and group and address directly, like, I'm having problems with you. Like, these are some of the issues that I have. These are some of the things I would like to address. I continued to talk negatively about her to my therapist, to my sponsor, I mean, to a recovery friend. I even was an outside friend that wasn't even in recovery. Mm. And this continued over the span of about a year. Until one time I'd gotten, I just, I felt really angry at her. And I ended up having a conversation with her where I basically took her down. Here's all the information I know about about you because I was in the presidency and this is how we talked about you. And you're this kind of person. And it was not a good conversation for either of us. Mm -hmm. I left all proud of myself, like, got that taken care of. And she left being, basically having been taken down. Mm -hmm. And... This precipitated me coming back to group and ask, you started asking questions like, what's going on? What's happening? And, and I would show up to group and kind of give like some answers. And then the next week I would like give a little bit different answer. And then the next week I'd show up with a little bit more information until it came to a head and I was asked to do a group disclosure. And that group disclosure meant I needed to go through and walk through every single conversation I had had about her over the course of the last year. Outside of the group. Outside of the group. And look at the tone of those conversations and put words to how those conversations looked. Not definite content because you don't want to do more damage. I didn't want to do... I was asked not to do more damage in the process. Mm -hmm. But it had disrupted, right? That, just to clarify, it disrupted the safety of the group. And so we wanted to do this disclosure to work through that, right? Let's get honest about what's going on so that we can work through it, make amends, because that was part of the disclosure, right? Was Mm -hmm. an amends making, not just to this particular female in the group, but to the group in general for that. Yeah, for being unsafe Mm -hmm. in general. I think this was another turning point for me in my recovery. I think part of what happened was, you know, as my new male therapist and then as you and Rachel and my sponsor kind of coming together, like the stories aren't quite lining up. Like Mm -hmm. the information isn't quite lining up. I'm not sharing quite the same things with a different group of people. And I am now segregated between like three different things for group, for therapy, individual, and for my sponsor. And I, I balked. I was pretty upset about this. I Mm -hmm. felt like the victim, to be honest. Like, ugh, why are they being so mean to me? Like, I'm not the problem. This other woman's the problem. Like, and I had to have 
a couple of really straightforward talks with Mm -hmm. my sponsor and my therapist where they outlined like, no, you're the problem. This is what you've done and we need you to take accountability for it. And I happened to go to a trip on Southern Utah during that time. And I remembered uh, it was a long drive. I had a lot on my mind Mm. as I was trying to decide. Um, I had a lot of old wounds from my first therapist. And I think there was a lot coming up for me and kind of the sense of like, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Like cut and run. Mm. And I, I had some really good experiences. I think nature is a higher power place for me. And I had some good experiences in nature, having some very sincere prayers. And then for a couple of weeks, I would go up. There was a canyon right above where I worked, and I would go, and I'd walk a couple of miles, and I found different spots of solitude. And I remember just praying and being like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I can explain it, but, like, what I was getting told didn't make sense to me. Like, I couldn't see what I was getting told. Like, my brain felt and body felt so confused. I'm like, I don't see it. I don't get it. I'm so confused. And I have this moment where I was praying, like, what do I do? Do I leave? Do I do my group disclosure? Do I, you know, like, what do I do? And I just had this moment of like, you can trust these therapists, trust these therapists. And I remember at that moment being like, I'm confused. I don't understand this. I can't see it. I don't get it. But I trust my sponsor. And I feel like my higher power just told me to trust these therapists. So that's what I'll do. And I, from there, went and put together a group disclosure and went through. My wonderful sponsor let me stay at her house. I think I was there for like five hours. And I like didn't even do it in the right format to begin with. And then she had to be like, no, that's not the format you were asked to do it in. Like, you've got to do it in the format you were asked to do it in. And I think I just went really young and kind of helpless and and had to kind of figure out how to pull out like my adult self mm-hmm. and and find my adult self. And I ended up putting the group disclosure together. And it was really important to me that it be accurate. And it, the hardest part was just that I couldn't see it. And so I would, I was emailing back and forth my current therapist a lot, just trying to be like, okay, feedback on this. And he would give me feedback. And some of the feedback would be positive. And sometimes it would be like, Marie, we've talked about this. Like, no, this isn't how it is. Like, this, 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 and this, and it has to be this, 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 and this. Okay, thank you. I'll go back. Mm-hmm. I'll redo this piece. And I was able to put it all together and come in and read it to the group. And I'm grateful I did. I'm grateful I did that. I think I've looked at my group disclosure and been like, yeah, I see it now. I get it. Mm-hmm. I see it. But at the time that I read my group disclosure and group, it felt like an act of faith because it was like, I I can't see this, but I know I need to do this. I know I've broken safety of the group. I know what I've done is wrong Mm -hmm. and this needs to happen now so that the group can move forward. I don't have time to wait months to like understand it. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I went in there and understandably they were very upset. And we continued talking about that. I can't remember how many sessions. I think it got cleaned up pretty quickly, actually. I would say at least within three. Like, I think within three groups, right, we were kind of wrapping that up and the group was able... Is that... Do you recall? Yeah, I'd say say that's about a good timeline. I, I sometimes will say in my congregation 
I'm still in my same religion. I'll sometimes raise my hand and be like, you know, if we were accountable for all the times we talked bad about somebody and we had to sit across from them, I think all of us would talk a lot less bad about people. Mm -hmm. Because after that group disclosure, you better believe I was super careful about what I said about any of the women in recovery and how I said it. I also made a list that I brought to my sponsor helped me kind of with this like, okay, you got to figure out like, are you going to stay at this clinic or are you going to go somewhere else? Like, and if you stay, then you've got to trust your therapist. I know that you have wounds from your past stuff, but you got to trust your therapist and you got to bring everything to your therapist. Mm -hmm. And so I would write down my list of questions, my list of either like things I wanted to talk to him personally about. I had some anger towards him about different things. And I would carefully write down everything I wanted to say. And when I would tell events from my week to group and to individual and to my sponsor, I would make sure I told the same amount of information the same way in the same emotional state Mm. so that I wasn't spreading out different pieces of my Mm -hmm. story. And it kind of felt like being a little bit in a straitjacket for a little while because I was like, am I going to do this right? Am I going to screw this Mm -hmm. up? But ultimately it taught me how to find my truth and to keep things aligned Mm -hmm. and not kind of cave and people please or like say certain part of the story here because you know this person will be okay with this part but not that part like you say the whole piece right that rigorous honesty yeah and I think that was a game changer for me in my recovery and I I'm grateful to the women in my group, I, I do feel like they forgave me. Mm-hmm. I think it took some time, but I do feel like they forgave me. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to have been shown that grace and to have been shown that process that I can take accountability for my stuff, mm-hmm. that I can own my stuff and that I can be okay. I still never want to do that again, ever. <laughs> It's one of the things sometimes we learn after a disclosure, right? It's like, okay, I don't want to get that messy again. Mm -hmm. I think I shut down and kind of went the opposite way for a little while. Like, I don't dare say anything about anyone. (laughs) And I feel like just recently, in the last couple of years, I've kind of been coming out of that phase and figuring out like, okay, these, these I can, this I can't, like, this is where the line of gossip versus other things lands. Uh But... I think that speaks to one of the issues that women in recovery have. Right. There's no ability to address other women directly. And so it kind of happens in this triangulation Mm -hmm. or this back channel fashion where I basically took down this one member of the group without her knowing Mm -hmm. and correcting that. And I think that's a massive problem in recovery for women, Mm -hmm. wherever they're at, whatever country they're in. I think that... Somehow, globally, it's like women are taught, like, you can't address things directly. So you just kind of go the back channels in order to make things happen. Right. Well, and I I think there tends to be a lot of, you know, with the back channels, I think there tends to be a lot of gossiping. You know, most women in therapy, most women in support groups will talk about, like, I've had damage done by males, but most of them, the damage done by females they're more skeptical of, right? Or there's a trust with females that is not there. And I think it plays out in so many female groups. Mm -hmm. I agree. There's a competition. There's a distrust. There's hierarchy, right? There's so many things. And on the outside, it looks pretty and good. Right. 
Like, oh, we're good. Like, mm-hmm. we trust each other. We're good. But internally, it's crumbling. I think we'll get, I think we'll be circling back around to that a little bit later. So, as now I've kind of had to mop up some of my behavior, I went back and from that group disclosure, looked a lot at my early childhood. I was able to see that I was a very lonely little girl in my family and at school, that I really didn't have any friends. Some really good insights that came. And I really did put my heart and soul into working to be better after Mm -hmm. that. Like, I wasn't okay with who I'd been. Like, that, that's not me. Like, my code of ethics, I wasn't okay with that. And so the only way I was going to change was if I did what I was asked and I followed. And that was what I was asked to do. Go back to your family. Go back to your early childhood. Like, let's walk through Mm -hmm. this together. Mm -hmm. Where did these behaviors and patterns originate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I did that for a while and that was, that was helpful. I think I'm going to jump back a little bit to the women's front for the women's meeting. Okay. So we're here, we have this growing women's meeting. We're starting to have larger and larger numbers of women showing up. We're starting to have a couple of years now worth of retreats going. I was starting to get some longer lengths of sobriety. I had my first sponsee who was younger than me. Unfortunately, I sponsored her like my first therapist had taught me, and I need to write her an amends letter at some point and go back to her and be like, I'm sorry. And by that, I mean I was very harsh and critical towards Mm. her. My first therapist could be very harsh and critical towards me. That was scary for me to have a sponsee. I was always scared to be a sponsee. I never, I never, I always kind of wrestled with this, like, not feeling like I quite fit in the group, but yeah, I did, but yeah, I didn't. We started to have more women showing up. And we started to have a presence in inner group. Are the listeners going to know what inner group is? Um, some. Give a brief summary. So basically you've got all your little pockets of 12-step meetings. And then they send a representative from each group into this council that forms an inner group. So it's all a representative from each group that comes and meets together. So like in that region or yeah. state or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're starting to have more women show up. And obviously the men are noticing, like, suddenly our mixed meetings are actually mixed. Like, and by mixed, I mean, like, two women instead of one. (laughs) And, like, these women are coming to the retreat. We had, I think we had almost 20 women at our retreat once. Mm. And the, the male running the retreat was beside himself. Like, he had no clue how to address females in the audience. And he was like, I have never in my life seen this many females. Hmm. And we were like, yeah, woman power. Like we rock. Like we were really excited about it. We were really ecstatic to kind of like switch the status quo uh-huh. and to switch that up and to change it up. And so we kind of were on the, like, I don't know if you call it the fight path, but like the standing up for ourselves path. And we had a woman that did a presentation on intergroup of like, this is what it's like being a woman in intergroup. And some of the things I've mentioned earlier about how the guys responded to me was in that. Mm. And there was other things that other women had experienced that was in that. And she gave this whole entire presentation to intergroup. And I went, I think that was my first time ever going to intergroup. And I went because I was like, I want to see how this, like, I want to see this presentation. I want to see like, this is important to me. Mm -hmm. And so she finished the presentation and she did a great job. And then there was this older guy there that was like, we need to do this for the homosexuals. You know, homosexuals are attracted to men and you're attracted to men. So they probably feel the same way as you do. So we need to like put together a presentation for the homosexuals. Like, wait, what? Like, um, did I miss something? Like, I am now suddenly in the same category as a homosexual because I'm attracted to men. And so are they like, 
what? I'm so confused. And he just kept going on and, like, taking over the meeting and, like, the homosexuals, the homosexuals. And it was like, this is a presentation about women. Mm-hmm. Like, what part of women do you seem to not be capable of seeing? Apparently none, because you keep trying to change it back to being about the men. Mm-hmm. And that was the response. Like, that was one of the major responses that this presentation for women in recovery got. I will say... Those couple of guys at that one meeting that I'd found that was safer, they came up to us. I trust Mm -hmm. them. I still trust them. I still feel like they're good men and they're dedicated to their recovery. They came up to me. I think they knew some of them were mine because they knew, I think they'd seen some of the stuff happen in Mm -hmm. their own group Mm -hmm. and specifically apologized to me and said they were sorry and like they just wanted to help us like find a way healing and that I appreciated Mm -hmm. so there was I mean there's a mixed review it's not fair just to say like the one guy that like hijacked the meeting but really he hijacked the meeting well and I think it's always been true right like if you look at history racial issues LGBTQ issues and feminist issues have always interacted with each other right there's always been a crossroad at which they all meet and often I think the majority whatever that is, the heterosexuals, the white people, the males, you know, it's kind of this like, well, we might give attention to one of the fringe groups, but we can't do all three, right? So while they all lift and kind of support each other, there's always um, like a competition to it, right? And I don't think that that's necessarily amongst the fringe groups, whether it's the women, whether it's um, people of color, whether it's the LGBTQ community, I don't think, I, I think that they know, right, as a minority, that it's not going to be good for us to be in competition with each other. But I think we often get pitted against each other in trying to be recognized or in trying to further our experience or the rights that we have or the recognition. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So not surprising that that experience happened because I think as you know, as we look back through history, that often happens. It's a way of shutting down the progress. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I just remember coming out of that meeting with my fists clenched and like steam coming out of my ears mm-hmm. and being really angry. Mm-hmm. Because each each group, while there are some commonalities between, you know, um, the kind of the fringe groups of people, they are each one is unique. Right. And each one is kind of it stands on its own. It's not just like you can put them all together. I agree. I I think it's not fair to them to be lumped with us either. Like maybe we need to look at the LGBTQ community within SA, but we're talking about the women. Right. Right. And so, yeah, SA may need to look at that, but that's not what we're doing right now. Exactly. That wasn't the agenda. Right. There was there was another guide in our group. And it felt like he kind of wore this badge of honor of like, I help the women. And he would come to us and be like, what can I do to help you? Will you please write that up for me and like send me what you guys need? And then he would be so proud of himself for helping the women. And I was thinking about that the other night. And I'm like, that feels so like 50s of like, hey, secretary, will you do this for me? Oh, my goodness. Look at my work. Isn't it amazing? Mm. And there was another incident at a retreat where to save money, they had not chosen to slice the sandwiches. I guess it cost a little bit more. And so they put all these sandwiches out and everyone's like filing in the door. They're going to need to eat lunch. And me and one of the other women realize like the sandwiches aren't cut. So we find some knives. We scramble around, find some bread knives and we start. And one of the guys come in and is like, 
oh good, the women are in the kitchen. Mm. I think I clenched that knife so hard and put my head down just so I didn't think it do anything or say anything stupid because I was so angry. Mm-hmm. I was like, why am I the one slicing the bread right, right now? And so there just always was like these little things as we were trying to interact with them that just, it was just hard. Like mm-hmm. it felt like anytime you went somewhere, it just was hard. And I think we gave it a good effort. I think we tried and tried and tried and tried until I think we just got worn out of trying. Like, for me, I feel like there came a moment when I was like, I don't feel like this is ever going to change. Like, I feel like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall. Like, and all that's happening is I now have a hurting head. Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to not have a hurting head anymore. So that means I need to maybe stop trying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why other people chose to either leave intergroup or do other things. I can only speak for myself, but it was challenging. I mean, I had experiences where we were working on committees once and they voted this woman in who none of us had met as the women. And they were like, oh yeah, she'll be fine. She'll be great. Like, who is she? Like, we've never even met her. And they voted her in. And then I get a phone call like a week later and he's like, oh, you're my committee chairperson. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, we voted you in. I was like, no, you didn't. That was a different woman. But we voted you in. So-and-so told me that we voted you in. No, that was a different woman. No, that was you. No, I was there. In fact, I voted against it. And that was a different woman. And it felt like he was kind of upset with me the whole entire time that I was so irresponsible in my duties of Mm -hmm. being this committee chairperson. And I was always utterly confused as to how I ended up getting confused with this other woman. But... Like, little things like that would happen. Or it's just like, can you not, like, keep our names straight? Like, can you not figure out that we're separate entities? Like, is it like we all look the same to you? Mm -hmm. And that, for me, would be frustrating. I actually ended up coming to you with some of the stuff that hadn't happened at Mm -hmm. intergroup. And writing up a letter to this guy. And expressing to him what it felt like. When that happens, like being, it it kind of feels like being objectified. Like we're just all the same. We're interchangeable. Um, I would sometimes hear guys say like, oh, we need you in recovery because it helps our recovery. And I would be angry. I wanted to be like, screw you. You needed women in your addiction. And now that we're in recovery, you still need us. Like, Mm -hmm. why don't you get some good recovery and figure out how to help yourself? Mm -hmm. I know that's very angry sounding of me, but it's like, I'm here in this room and I need help. I'm not here for you. And writing that letter was a really good thing for me. I think it really helped me feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And he took his time responding and he apologized. Mm. Took ownership of it. Said he was sorry and thanked me for letting him know. And that was cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I've gained some more respect back for you. Like, thank you for responding appropriately to that. And so that's just some of the challenges we faced, like trying to be women in this man's field mm-hmm. of addiction mm-hmm. recovery. I mean, do you want to circle back to the meeting? Yeah, let's circle back to that. Yeah, so we'd gotten pretty big. I'd said we'd gotten to about a size of 20. And so we had a good group of 20 and we were moving along, but we were having some issues with people stepping up to the plate with being sponsors, myself included. I was struggling with being willing to be a sponsor. I was having some of my own internal 
issues at the time. I just was having a lot of emotional meltdowns and issues. And I guess maybe to go back to, I mean, I've alluded to the fact that you're my therapist yet, but I haven't spoken to how that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So go back in time a little bit. I lost my job. I was laid off. And first of all, this was a really unhealthy job, but I had really good coworkers that were really, I was really tight with and were really my social circle. I am, they probably were part of what held me through recovery. I reached my best point in recovery during this time. I think a lot with their help and a lot of letting those things fall away and with the help of my therapist number two. And I was out of work and I was just distraught. And this was a really, really unhealthy company. Like they're in legal health, legal battle issues, unhealthy company. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was unhealthy, but a year and a half before this happened, I again had been praying and trying to figure out what do I need to do? Like, okay, God, you see what I'm working at? Like, okay, like it's this, this got to change. And I got a really clear and distinct answer. I was to stay there. And I didn't understand why, like, why God do you want me to stay at this really dysfunctional company? And I went to my manager and basically said, I'll stay, but I need this, 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 and this to change. And he looked at me and said, all of those are changeable. Let's do it. And he actually changed it. Mm. And it became actually, I had a little bit of a bubble in my work environment. In your department? In my department. I got some space for my dad a little bit at work. And it actually became a positive, an overall positive situation. There was still very difficult things we were dealing with. But ultimately, we saw kind of the writing on the wall and knew that our jobs were coming to an end. And rather than going off and getting our own jobs, we tried to regroup and make it better. And we lost our jobs. And they were really kind of underhanded in how they did it as well, which caused me a lot of angst and anger. And so in the midst of all of this, I had decided to go watch a film called The Zookeeper's Wife. And like I said, I was having a lot of emotional upheavals. And so I I tried to pick pretty carefully what I watched for movies. Like that was important to me. I've always not watched a lot of TV or a lot of movies and always kind of picked carefully since I can remember. And I watched the previews for it and it was about World War II. I grew up reading a lot of books on World War II and other things. And that's just a genre that I do find interesting. And I went to the movie theater by myself and there was two different sexual assault scenes in the movie. And I fell apart. Like I was like shaking, like I had to get up and leave. And I went to my car and I was like, my body was shaking. And I, I couldn't even explain what had just happened. I just was like, I don't know what happened, but I'm not okay. And I went home, I got support on the phone. I came to the meeting. Somebody in the group was so kind. They let me stay at her house the Mm -hmm. whole entire day. Like the group really rallied around me and gave me a lot of help, which I am incredibly grateful for. It got me through, but I continued like it, it didn't just kind of go away. It was just like, I couldn't stop it. Like something was coming out. And I sat across from it, the smell therapist that I trusted and that I had come to respect. And I was shaking. Like I was shaking as I was across from him. And I was like, I can't talk to you. You're a man. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why that's the case. I'm sorry, but I can't process anything with you anymore. Like whatever's happened, like it's blown my mind 
mm-hmm. part or something. Like, I can't sit across from you. And I was sitting cross-legged with my arms kind of, like, shaking a little bit. And he said, you know what? If that's not working for you, then let's find you a therapist that will work for you. And I had gotten to know you through the group therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I trust Jackie. Like, I think that whole process that we talked about earlier of that group disclosure and everything else had really helped me trust group as well. Mm-hmm. And the group therapist. I was like, I trust Jackie. And I was like, but I need something this week because I am not okay. I don't know what's going on, but I am not okay. And he was like, hey, let's do it. And I think two days later, I was in your office and had one of the most intense EMDR sessions (laughs) I have ever had. And it was exactly what I needed. Hmm. And I told, I sent, I sent him a little thank you text and said, thank you so much. And I think he might've emailed me back or told me verbally. And he said, your welfare is more important to me than my being your therapist. And I think that was the first time in my life Amel had ever showed up to me and said, I'm more interested in helping you than helping myself. Mm. And I thanked him and said, like, I was trying to get across to him, like, I honestly don't know what this is about and it's not about you. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of this transition in my therapeutic. And I think... I think shortly thereafter, I stopped doing group therapy as well. And that internal emotional upheaval, I would say, lasted about another year to a year and a half, mm-hmm. if not almost two years. And I was just in this really young, vulnerable, feeling unsafe state. I had one time where I got sick at work. I almost passed out at work. And they had to try and get me to the doctor's office long enough, get me to stand up long enough to get there. And I ended up getting sick for like three weeks and I just started having panic attacks and I couldn't leave my house and I just couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And and that continued for a year and a half. That's kind of down the road a little bit back to the fact that I had lost my job. Here I was having panic attacks every day. I'd lost my job. Thankfully, I had enough income in my bank account to last for at least six months. So I was good for at least the next six months. And that included like the cost of therapy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started neural feedback at that time. I found that to be incredibly helpful for me. It seemed to be able to just calm my brain right down. And like, I'd be like for the rest of the day and the next couple of days, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. And I fought for unemployment because my company had decided to accuse me of quitting when they had been the ones to lay me off. I fought my company for that and I got it. So I was able to get income that way. And I just started... I basically felt like I kind of gave it over to God. I remember having this conversation with God one time where I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not in a very good state to be finding myself a job right now. And I kind of said, you know what, here's what I'll do. I'll get my resume put together the best it's ever been put together. I'll submit it to the places that I think are fit. And I'm not going to worry or stress about it. I'm going to hand it over to you because I don't have the bandwidth to be worried about this right now. I'm trying to take care of my health because something's happening. And I had a friend come over with a packet to build a resume. And it was, I guess his friend had been laid off and they'd given this whole big fat packet of like, Mm -hmm. here's how you build a resume. And he handed it to me and I decided I would do every single page of that thing. And I did up to about halfway through. I should put a caveat on that. And by the time I was done doing all of the exercises... I had the absolute best resume I'd ever had. Like Mm -hmm. I showed my previous resume and my current resume to my previous coworkers. And they were like, dang. 
And my previous coworker was a graphic designer. He, for free, did graphic design on my resume. And I began submitting my resume. I'd submit, I'd try and submit a certain amount per day or per week. Mm -hmm. You have to do that to get unemployment anyways. And I would spend most of the rest of my day at the public library so that I wasn't home by myself. And also at um, my church area, a church building that meant a lot to me and brought me peace. And there came up a job opportunity for this company. And I honestly had forgotten that I'd submitted my resume to it. I was like, what is this company? That's weird. It's a weird named company. And I'd never been out to that area either. Like when I went to go interview, I'm like, this is clearing the heck out there. Like I didn't even know this part existed. And I get there and I interview and I've been talking to this therapist, my male therapist about my resume. I've showed it to him. I've talked about it. Like I've built a lot of self-confidence from doing this packet. I basically kind of showed up for my interview, like on the way I'm trying not to have a panic attack. And then I get there and I like kind of sit up like I own the world and like, I'm like, (laughs) here's who I am. Here's what I can do. Blah, blah, blah. And I think sometimes that's just what you got to do in life. You're just like, I'm falling apart at the seams and I got to get myself a job. So we put our game face on. And the guy I was interviewing with, he didn't really like say much. He kind of just kept writing stuff down. Uh Uh-huh. 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 And I was being really honest. Like, he's like, tell me about a time that you've had conflict at your previous job. And in my head, I'm like, well, when hasn't there been conflict? (laughs) Like, do I have some stories for you? And I chose actually kind of a touchy story and said, you know, sometimes there's conflict at work and this is hard and this is what happened and this is how we dealt with it. And there was a few other things where I didn't pull any punches with being like, yeah, sometimes you don't get along with coworkers, but Mm -hmm. here's what I've tried to do to do the best to get through that. And he showed me the building and the company and everything else. And I walked out of the building and I just had this feeling like you're going to get asked to do another interview. I was driving home. I was like, all right. And that night he'd emailed me like, can you come back in like tomorrow? Mm. And I was like, whoa, Uh, I think it ended up being two days later. And I was like, all right. And the second interview wasn't so much an interview as like, hey, everybody, here's Marie. Like Mm. I went to the marketing department and they were happy with me. Every department he showed me to because I kind of work with a lot of the different departments in my company. They were happy with me. And I told them what I'd done at my last job and they kept looking at each other weird again but not saying anything to me. And I left and I just, again, I had this feeling like you're gonna get a job offer. And I think it was even that night Mm. that I had the job offer. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen. Amen.